Good morning, folks. Welcome to Platt. It's lovely to have you with us. My name is Paul. Welcome if you're here with us or if you are watching uh, on our live stream at home. Um, I'm Sarah. Yeah, it's lovely to have you with us. Sarah, have you done anything Christmassy over the past day or so? Well, That's what I was going to ask it's you. It's funny you should ask that, actually, Paul. Um, we, yes, yesterday uh, we had our Christmas bake-along. Uh, a few of us were there. We were uh, on Zoom making some gingerbread people, uh, although I had no people cutters, so I made sun and stars. <laughs> Uh, but you know, that's still Christmassy. Uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun. Ro Zach and Rosie led us through making the gingerbread and helped to tell us the story of Christmas. And it was a lot of fun. It definitely felt like we were getting kind of more Christmassy. What about you? Did you do anything Christmassy well, yesterday? Well, we were, we were visited by some carol singers from Platts. A couple of groups had gone out yesterday to sing in the local area. And so uh, Adam and his group came and joined us. And uh, I think Jenny and her group were off somewhere else. And did you, did you join them? I didn't. <laughs> but well, they, they were very good. There were lots of, you know, harmonies and, and, and things, and I, I sang in my heart. I mean, every voice could add some sort of harmony. It just may be less beautiful. Anyway, <laughs> we'll just carry on. That's very rude, isn't it? I'm so sorry. <laughs> every noise is a joyful noise for the Lord. <laughs> but I heard the carol singers were very good. I feel bad now. Um, anyway, <laughs> this morning the last in our series uh, looking at a weary world rejoices uh, and Tim's going to be speaking to us a little bit later about the amazing new relationship we can have with God. And one of the things that we've been doing through Advent is drawing on some of the different cultures from our church family and so a little later on our Bible reading will be in German and uh, in English. Der Herr sprach Es kommt die Zeit, in der ich Israel und Juda wieder mit Menschen und Tieren bevölkern werde. Damals habe ich sie entwurzelt und ausgerissen. Ja, ich selber habe dafür gesorgt, dass sie vernichtet werden. Doch nun werde ich sie wieder einpflanzen und dafür Sorge tragen, dass sie gedeihen. Das verspreche ich der Herr. Dann wird man nicht mehr das Sprichwort anführen, die Väter haben saure Trauben gegessen und den Söhnen werden die Zähne davon stumpf. Nein, wer saure Trauben isst, wird selbst stumpfe Zähne bekommen. Jeder wird für seine eigene Schuld sterben. So spricht der Herr, es kommt die Zeit, in der ich mit dem Volk Israel und dem Volk von Juda einen neuen Bund schließe. Es ist nicht mit dem zu vergleichen, den ich damals mit ihren Vorfahren schloss, als ich sie bei der Hand nahm und aus Ägypten befreite. Diesen Bund haben sie gebrochen, obwohl ich doch ihr Herr war. Der neue Bund, den ich dann mit dem Volk Israel schließe, wird ganz anders aussehen. Ich schreibe mein Gesetz in ihr Herz, es soll ihr ganzes Denken und Handeln bestimmen. Ich werde ihr Gott sein und sie werden mein Volk sein. Niemand muss dann den anderen noch belehren. Keiner braucht seinen Bruder mehr zu sagen. Erkenne doch den Herrn, denn alle, vom Kleinsten bis zum Größten, werden erkennen, wer ich bin. Ich vergebe ihnen ihre Schuld und denke nicht mehr an ihre Sünden. Mein Wort gilt. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the offspring of men and of animals. Just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down and to overthrow, destroy and bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days, people will no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die for his own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, his own teeth will be set on edge. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant 
with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out to Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. Good morning, it's good to be with you all for the final part of our three-part series in Jeremiah 31, A Weary World Rejoices, our Advent series. And uh, I guess we might be weary for many reasons. Uh, The last nine months or so, I guess many of us have felt weary at many times. But here's one reason why we might be feeling weary. It's because we're feeling stuck. See that cartoon of the the washing machine? Sometimes I feel like I'm stuck in a cycle, a long, long rinse cycle. Apologies. But uh, maybe we feel a bit like that washing machine during this uh, pandemic. We're, We're stuck in a cycle of entering lockdown, then we come out for a bit, then we go back in, then we come out for a bit. Are we going to go back in? Who knows? Um, uh, or, or maybe it's that cycle of watching the R rate, and it's coming down, it's coming down. Oh, no, wait, it's gone up again. Uh, or or that, that sort of feeling of just being trapped, um, uh, stuck, and, and like we're out of control, we're kind of powerless about it. Uh, that decisions are being made and things are being, uh, decisions are being taken that we have no control over, but they have a massive impact on us. Uh, and you're like, are we ever going to get out of this? We feel stuck. And that feeling of being stuck can lead to a great sense of weariness. Well, God's people in 589, uh, 586 BC, the people of Israel and Judah, Uh, who we've been looking at in Jeremiah's day, they would have known that feeling. Uh, They would have known what it was to be stuck. But it it wasn't a a pandemic for them. It was a cycle of sin. It was the fact that their relationship with God had been broken by their sin. Uh, And they were being punished for that. The northern kingdom had already been taken away. uh, And the southern kingdom, Jeremiah had told them, they are going to be taken into exile. Uh, And they felt trapped. Uh, What can they do? And in Jeremiah 31, we've been seeing God's rescue reboot operation. God's rescue reboot, a a new start. Uh, We've seen that in the last two weeks as Richard and James have brought God's word to us. So back in verse 4 of chapter 31, uh, I will build you up again and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. And a couple of weeks ago, Richard showed us uh, from the first part of the chapter that that God was going to take them all back like it was in the beginning, like it was in the days of Exodus. Uh, when they had a fresh relationship, they just come into relationship, them and God. I'm going to take it back, start it all over again. Or, or last week, James was showing us that after exile, they were going to return to their own land in verse 17. They were going to come back by the same road that they left. It's going to be a fresh start, a new start, a reboot. 
Uh, and I've used that word uh, reboot because it, it does feel a bit like God, God's just switching it back on to the beginning. So a bit, a bit like this, uh, this piece of advice that I'm sure all of us have had at one time or another when the computer or the internet router isn't working properly. Have you tried switching it off and on again? Uh, hands up if you've done that. Has anyone tried that? Yeah, we all try that approach, don't we, from time to time. Here's the thing about that. The first thing is, it does work, doesn't it? Yeah, you, you switch it off and on again, and all of a sudden the internet seems to be working a bit faster. The computer doesn't seem as slow as it did before. Now, but the other thing is, and, and maybe this is just me, maybe I'm a, a colossal cynic, yeah, but whenever I try the switch it off and on again approach, there's that nagging doubt in the back of my mind that says, aren't I just going to be here again in a week's time? I've not actually fixed anything, have I? There's still a problem somewhere, and the computer or the internet or whatever it is, it's going to start slowing down again, and I'm going to have to do this all over again. And if God's people were feeling cynical, what's to stop us messing it up again? God has promised a fresh start. Even at the start of our passage today, we get it, don't we? The days are coming, verse 27. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, just as I watched over them, verse 28, to uproot and tear down. So I will plant them again. That's God's promise to the people. I, I'm going to uproot you. You're going into exile, but I will plant you again. But if you're a cynical uh, Israelite or Judahite, you, you might be there thinking, okay, God's going to plant us, but what's to stop us being uprooted again? Are we just trapped in this cycle of God gives us a fresh start, but we mess it up again? Our sin, it's the problem again, and we can't get out of this cycle. And actually, they might have even been thinking, well, it's not even really our fault, God. So verse 29, in those days, people will no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. That was like a, a, a saying at the time where the people in Jeremiah's day were saying, it's not our fault, God. Uh, you see, the cycle of, uh, see, see, sometimes God's people had a good king or someone like that who led them back to God for a time. But then there'd be a bad king, and, and everybody went astray, and sin took over. And the people at the time were saying, look, we're being punished, but really it was our, our fathers and their fathers, the previous generations, they were the ones who messed it up, God. They ate the sour grapes, and it's us who are paying the price. Someone else's fault, and we're just caught in the middle in this cycle. And Jeremiah rejects that. The people will no longer say that. Instead, everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. Because God's not just going to give a reboot. He's not just going to give a fresh start that they can mess up again. He's going to do more than that. He's going to give something even better and even bigger. Not just God's rescue rebooters, but God's people remade. Not just a new start but a new heart. I'm sorry, it's twee, isn't it? It's like rhyming, and all, but it might make you remember it. I don't know. Uh, not just a new start, but a new heart as well. Uh, because it's not just a, a reboot. It's a remaking of the people. Uh, and that remaking comes to us in the, those famous words of verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Now, this is the only passage in the Old Testament that speaks of a new covenant. And yet the New Testament picks up on it as a really important idea. So it's a really important passage. This idea 
of a new covenant. Very significant. But to get our heads around what it's saying, we just need to do a bit of work unpacking that word covenant. Pete mentioned it's a big Bible word, and we just want to get clear uh, what it is. It's a relationship. It's a relationship between two people, but um, it's kind of legal and a bit like a contract on one level. But on another level, it's really personal, it's intimate, it's between two people who who are supposed to love and care for one another as well. So it's kind of legal, but also personal. Uh, And the relationship we still have today that's quite like a covenant in that way is is marriage. Uh, We hope, anyway, that two people who get married, there's a personal dimension to that relationship, love and care between them. But it is also legal. Uh, As people make promises and say, this is what I'll I'll do, this is what I'll do. Uh, And then afterwards, they are legally united together. And and so this is what a covenant is, an agreement, as Pete said, between two groups of people. I've put the A and the B on the screen there, so you can see. Uh, And both of them agree together to do certain things for one another. And that that agreement is, is legally binding. And in the ancient world, covenants had a certain set of features a bit like a legal contract, as you'll see in a moment, uh, certain features that they had to have in order to enter a, a covenant. So, uh, and uh, the book of Deuteronomy, a lot of people think that is essentially a, a covenant document. So it's got all the key features that ancient covenants used to have to make legally binding. Uh, and I've put the references there for anyone who's interested. Uh, so uh, the first thing you had in a covenant was like an introduction, a preamble, which introduced who the people were who were making a covenant So in Deuteronomy, it introduces the Lord, and it introduces uh, the people that he he is going to be the Lord of. Uh, And then it gives you some history, how the two parties met one another, uh, their backstory, if you like. Uh, Then it gives you the stipulations, we we might call these the terms and conditions of the covenant, what each party says they'll do for the other. Uh, And then it talks about where the covenant is supposed to be written down, there's supposed to be a document of the covenant, and that's supposed to be put in a certain place so people can see it, so that it's legally binding. Uh, And then there are blessings and curses attached, so the penalties, if you break your side of the covenant, this is what will happen, or if you keep it, this is the blessing. And then there are witnesses called. Uh, It's a bit legal, isn't it? You might have been called to be a witness to somebody signing a document or something like that at some point, and it's legally uh, sort of set out. And they're the features of the covenant God made with Israel. And they're all there in Deuteronomy. And that's the first covenant. The covenant that's mentioned in verse 32 of our passage. uh, The covenant between God and his people. But something had gone wrong with that covenant. Verse 32, this new covenant will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. The covenant back in Deuteronomy when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Why not? What had gone wrong with that first covenant? Because they broke my covenant. They broke my covenant. The people hadn't kept their side of the bargain. They broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. That's God's way of saying, I kept my covenant. I was faithful. So there's nothing wrong with the covenant, And there was nothing wrong with God. He kept his side of the bargain. There was something wrong with the people. They broke the covenants. And so something needs to change. 
Something about the covenant needs to change because the people weren't able to keep the covenant. Now, I wonder if you have the passage in front of you or you can remember it. Can you see what it is that changes in the new covenant? What it is Jeremiah points out that's going to be different this time? It might surprise us. Certainly surprised me. It's where it's written down. That's the thing that changes in the new covenant, where it's written. Verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God says, the thing that's going to change is where I write this down. I'm not going to write it on a stone tablet anymore. It's going to be written on the hearts of the people. I don't know if that's the one you'd have picked out. Maybe you'd have said, God, what needs to happen is it's the terms and conditions, the stipulations. You need to make them a lot easier. Yeah? We can't keep them. Or the blessings and the curses. Could we just change those around a bit and make, make it not so serious if we mess up? But God says, no. God's a holy God. He can't lower his standards. Uh, sin is something that causes a barrier between him and his people. So instead, God changes the thing that will change the people. The thing that's going to change their heart. That's what needs to change. And so God says, that is what I will change. And that makes all the difference. Because as God writes his law on the hearts of his people and puts it in their minds... He transforms the people for a new, intimate, personal relationship with him. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. There is a new personal relationship available because God has put a new covenant in place and changed the hearts of his people. And isn't it a wonderful truth that God knows what needs to change. That isn't what I would have picked. If I'd have been in charge of trying to get the people and God back into a good relationship, I'd have done something different. But, but God is aware of what needs to change. God is capable and able to change what needs changing, and that's us. That's our hearts. We didn't need new rules. We needed a change from within. I think COVID actually provides quite a uh, an interesting analogy there, doesn't it? Uh, the rules were changed quite a bit and keep being changed. Does that provide us with hope? Actually, don't you just get tired of it? A new set of rules to learn what we are and aren't allowed to do. But I'll tell you what, when people started talking about a vaccine, uh, and when that became a more real possibility, that did provide hope because that's the change that is inside us, that can fight the virus. We don't need more rules or different rules. We need a change from within. It's true with the problem of sin as well. God knows that, and he knows how to meet our needs. So how does he do it? How is one thing to promise it? But the thing is, we don't just have to... We're in an even better position than those who heard Jeremiah's words at first. We don't just have to listen to Jeremiah's words and say, well, God will do it one day. 
We've seen him put it into action. We've seen him roll his new covenant out. It's not completely finished yet, but we've seen him starting it off. And of course, he did it through Jesus, who the New Testament calls the high priest of a new covenant. Jesus is the one God has chosen to put this new covenant into effect, this new relationship. Well, how, how does Jesus do that? Well, well, first of all, Jesus lives a perfect life. He has a perfect record of law-keeping. He has kept God's law perfectly. And Jesus, for anyone who has faith in him, he writes that on their hearts. Uh, the Bible also uses words like he gives it as a gift of his righteousness. His righteousness is his perfect record of law-keeping. And the Bible says anyone who believes in Jesus, he will give that record to them. He will write it on their heart so that when God looks at them and at their heart, what he sees is a perfect record of obedience, of keeping the law. He, he's changed us from within by giving us that record so that we're now acceptable to God. We can be in a relationship with him. We can know him and him know us. Jesus has done that. He's been our high priest and lived the perfect life and giving it, given it as a record to us. He, he's also the high priest because he's offered a sacrifice. And the sacrifice is himself. That's what priests did. They offered sacrifices to, to get sins forgiven. And Jesus offers himself as a sacrifice once for all. He didn't die for his own sin. He didn't have any. He died for my sin. And for your sin, which is why Jeremiah can promise that God says, I will forgive their wickedness. And remember their sins no more because Jesus is going to die the death that sin deserves once for anyone who puts their trust in him. Uh, and then Jesus ascends into heaven. He, he dies and rises again and ascends into heaven. And from there, and we saw it on the day of Pentecost, he has the authority to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and lives in our hearts by faith if we're believers so that we can have a personal relationship with God. He lives in us. We don't need to have somebody teach us or say no to the Lord anymore because we all know God. He lives within us. And the Holy Spirit actually changes our hearts so that we more and more look like the perfect record that Jesus has given us. Now, that doesn't happen automatically. Christians still struggle with sin. But more and more we're becoming like him. Until that day, that day that we're longing for and looking for, particularly in Advent, when Jesus returns, when the final I's are dotted and T's are crossed on the covenant, when it's put into full and final effect, when we on the inside look like what God has made us in his sight through Jesus, when we perfectly live out the law of that Jesus, uh, that God has given us, when we are transformed. I know what a day that will be. A day of the closest fellowship and friendship with God. It's a wonderful promise. And of course, it's a promise because we've seen three of those four things have happened already. We know God's committed to this plan. It, again, it's a bit like to use the, the COVID uh, thing. Uh, when you heard talk of a vaccine back in March or April or whatever, uh, you were like hopeful maybe, but we don't know how long it's going to be. When it starts being rolled out, 
when people start having it, when you see it take effect, that hope is much more concrete, isn't it? Well, for the Christian, friends, we know we're not stuck forever in a cycle of sin. We know God has done something definitive. He has put a new covenant in place, and he has rolled it out through Jesus. So this Advent, we can look back with joy that Jesus came the first time and started to put the covenant into effect. And we can look forward with longing to his return when that new covenant will be a a complete full, lived experience for each and every one of us. And in the meantime, we can have hope. Not flimsy hope that's sort of pie in the sky or airy-fairy. Real concrete hope because he came. And he will come back. He is the high priest of a new covenant. A sure and certain covenant. Well, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he is the high priest of a new covenant. We thank you that he makes relationship with you possible. He he removes the obstacle of sin and, and does all that is necessary for us to know you and to enter into that perfect relationship that you'd always planned for us. Thank you that you are a God who sees what we need, sees what the problems are, and knows how to remedy them. Give us confidence that that is the kind of God you are this Christmas time. And may our hearts be filled with joy and hope. We're still in a weary world, but Jesus and the new covenant remind us it will not always be so. And we thank you for that in his most precious name. Amen.